No pressing announcements other than the Lord's Supper is today. We have the call to worship, where God calls the world, and we are blessed by His Spirit to answer that call in public worship and praise of Him, our Lord and Master. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto Thy name give glory, for Thy mercy and for Thy truth's sake. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of Thy name. Deliver us, purge away our sins for thy name's sake. Let's bow our hearts and heads in silent preparation for worship. Let us stand and sing hymn 196. 196.
Let us pray. Indeed, God Almighty, we are grateful for your mercies through Christ Jesus, who shed his blood and broke his body for us and our salvation. And we ask, God, that your spirit would continue to be with us and that we would focus upon you, Lord, that we would cast all our cares upon you, God, and and trust in the gospel promise of salvation, pure and free. We pray these things in accordance to the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, it is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We have a responsive reading in which I read the boldface and you read the non-boldface of Psalm 53. Psalm 53, which is an insert in the bulletin. Psalm 53, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt and have done abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. Every one of them has turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. There they are in great fear who where no fear was, for God has scattered the bones of him who encamps against you. You have put them to shame because God has despised them. As I think many of us are aware, this psalm and another psalm were quoted by Paul in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 3, to be precise, in which halfway through that chapter, he argues that it's not just the Gentiles only, or just the Jews, but both Jews and Greek are fallen. And he proceeds to quote, there is none who does good, no, not one. There is none who seeks God, we read elsewhere as well, who understands, we read in verse 2 here, the Lord. They have altogether turned aside unto iniquities. This is the state of mankind outside of Christ Jesus our Lord. And it's important to recognize this not only for the health of a church. You're not going to have a healthy church if your minister doesn't believe uh, sinners are sinners, the way the Bible describes sinners. 
And so they will give a watered-down gospel. And when they need the fullness of God's law to bring conviction, that they are wicked in their hearts and love their sins and do not care anything for God, and they need to repent accordingly. And the greatness of salvation is that God can cover and does cover even such sins as these. Let us go before our Lord and Savior with the covenant prayer of his people. We, Lord... who at times feel like this, I suppose, Lord, in our hearts for corruption and sin and iniquity within us. And yet, Lord, may we be encouraged to know, in spite of our sins, our sins, Lord, that easily beset us, God, not fleeing temptation at times, Lord, perhaps making excuses. And so we feel like we are one of these in Psalm 53. And yet we, Lord, read here at the end of these verses here, the salvation does indeed come upon Zion, that God will bring back his people, and Jacob shall rejoice that God has changed us, Lord, and although we do have sin, yet, Lord, we have not rejected you. You have, Lord, given us the gift of faith in spite of our sins. You, God, our Father above, you who justify the ungodly, not the godly, not those who have prepared themselves enough, not those who have obeyed enough or reached a minimal threshold of some sort, God, but ungodly sinners, those, Lord, such as this Psalms, as many of us were at one time. And you have justified us nevertheless and given us your spirit and saved us. Help us, God, to rest in that fact of the love of Christ Jesus covering all our sins, of giving us the Holy Spirit, of conviction, and of the gospel, and of your church, and of the preaching of your word, and the giving of the sacraments, as signs and tokens of your love and pleasure in Christ Jesus upon us, our Lord and Savior. We have our sins, God. We struggle in our sanctification, and yet, God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, you have covered them through Jesus Christ, and have justified us freely by faith alone, in Christ alone. We ask, Lord, that you continue to be with us throughout our life and our ministries and our work and our callings and vocations in life as mothers and fathers, as husbands and wives, as children, as students of schools and teachers, as members of our community and of society, God, and workers and bosses and whatever position we find ourselves in, our responsibilities before you. That you are with us, God, that you are covering our sins, that you are enabling us, God, to work as unto the Lord day and night. We pray for our church and our ability for outreach and to talk to those who are lost and dying. And precious Lord and Savior, not only ourselves, but all the churches here in Denver, name the name of Christ Jesus and follow your way. Help us, we pray, God, to grow not only in outreach, but spiritually in our education, to understand your word, uh, to learn and memorize the Bible and to apply these truths into our lives, God, and always to trust and strengthen our weak faith, Lord, and to encourage one another to know that we are here as the body of Christ, as a family of God. We are called to bear one another's burdens in Galatians 6. And so, Lord, we pray and ask that we would, as your people, continue to have love for one another, patience, long-suffering, encouragement, Lord, and even admonitions as needed. Help us, we pray, to instruct one another in your truth, to the extent that we have such knowledge and are in a position to give that knowledge to one another to help us in our deficiency. And we pray and ask God that we would continue to read your word and to pray accordingly, instruct our children and our grandchildren, Lord. 
And so we pray for ourselves and our growth, individually and collectively, to be more like Jesus Christ, to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. And God Almighty, we are again grateful for your special providence in which you guide all things for your glory and for our good, even if we don't always understand it, as your people. And we praise you and thank you, Lord, for the... Although not a member of our church, they were members for a very long time uh, for Oriana's new baby, and Lord, for the babies to come here as well. And we magnify your name, God, for overturning Roe v. Wade. And we ask, God, that this first step would not be the last step, and that this nation and these states, these several states, would do the right thing, and those leadership of the states in which they have severe restrictions, we pray total restrictions upon murdering of babies, they would stand firm and not give in to social pressure, like they did in 2020, and do the right thing, God Almighty, we pray. We ask, God, for your continued mercies upon this nation because of your people, because of Jesus Christ working through the church of the Lord and Savior, and, Lord, for her repentance. For we desire, Lord, our nation that we were raised in to do the right thing. We pray, God, that you continue to be with us as well, and that we would listen to your word this morning and grow according to your grace and mercy. In your name we pray. Amen. We now have the tithes and offerings. rise praise God from whom all blessings flow praise him all creatures here below praise him above ye heavenly host praise Father Son grateful God Almighty to be able to give these tithes and offerings with a grateful heart and a heart of praise and honor of your name and the work of your kingdom and pray Lord that they would be used to your glorious namesake. Amen. You may be seated. Let us turn to our Bibles to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. 17 and 20. Just a small portion here of the night of the Passover. Verses 17 and 20, let's listen attentively to the word of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine till the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup uh, after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, 
which is shed for you. Let us pray. And short order, God Almighty, we read here of the Lord's Supper, <clears throat> the communion, the Eucharist, uh, that which Christ has instituted, as we read uh, elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 11 through the Apostle Paul, for the church to continue, as he even mentioned here, that he will not drink of it, although we will continue therein until he returns. And so, God Almighty, may we be encouraged and may we uh, relearn again what it means to have the Lord's Supper, that it is a means of grace used by the Spirit for our spiritual growth. In your name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> the Lord's Supper is, of course, instituted by our Lord Jesus Christ and given to us, as I said, as a means of grace used by the Spirit for your spiritual growth. And you'll see those are the three points of the sermon. <clears throat> It's important to go over basic doctrine, to remind ourselves of basic truths, of what is faith, what is salvation, who is God, what is Christ, and what are the sacraments. Here in particular, or the broader category of the first point, what are the means of grace? The Lord's Supper is a means of grace. And one of the ways in which it helped me grow as a Christian in understanding the sacraments, and the Lord's Supper in particular, is by contrast not by necessarily critiquing, per se, although the critique is implied here, but looking at different views of the Lord's Supper gave me a better understanding of what I believe of the Lord's Supper, so I hope it helps you in that regard as well. You have differing views, of course, in which you have the Lutherans, for example, or the Roman Catholics, whereas the Roman Catholics argue <coughs> that the bread and the wine are body and blood of Christ, and thus teach cannibalism. It may taste like bread, it may taste like and smell like wine, but it really is blood, they argue, and it really is a physical body you are eating with your mouth, which we would call cannibalism. The Lutherans go one step away from that in saying that the elements uh, are both. It is bread. You are eating bread, but the body is in, with, and under the bread. So they're not confusing the natures of bread and flesh. That's a good thing. Uh, and yet there's still confusion in the Lutheran approach to things as well. And of course, on the other extreme, you have many typical uh, Americans, or what we say evangelicals, in which the Lord's Supper isn't about Christ per se as much as is about your feelings of Christ's death and how sorrowful you are about Christ's death. Whereas uh, the Reformed, and I would obviously argue the biblical position, is the traditional Protestant, that it's a means of the Holy Spirit uh, used for our growth of the effects of Christ Jesus given to us through the means of the Lord's Supper. And I'll get a little more detail into that. And so, that is, the Lord's Supper is a means of grace. In the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 5, verse 3, as a general view about means and instruments that God uses in providence, how he directs and guides all of history towards his glory and our good. It says, God, in his ordinary providence, makes use of means, yet is free to work without, above, and against them at his pleasure. And so God has indeed summarized here, as we know in the history of the church and of the Bible and our own history, uses means to accomplish ends, to accomplish purpose, 
You want to live? You better eat. You better drink. Drink some water or you're going to die. God has used and given us these means, thereby which our body can sustain itself and persevere. In a like fashion, God has given us the means of grace, more precisely, spiritual means that our spiritual soul, our spiritual man, may grow thereby as well. And the Lord's Supper is one of those means of grace. We know, of course, of others more broadly conceived of praying, of reading the Bible, of family devotions. These are instruments in the hands of the Holy Spirit whereby you grow in your understanding of who Christ is and of salvation and of deliverance. To become more like Jesus, to strengthen yourself against sin and Satan and temptations of this world. And those are other means as well. But the particular means and by which we are speaking of are the sacraments I'm going to delve into here. Now, we read in the Catechism, question 88, what are the outward means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption? What are the outward means, instruments, tools, things that are done and accomplished, whereby Christ communicates or gives to us the benefits of redemption? The outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption are his ordinances, especially the word, sacraments, and prayer. That is traditionally what we think of when we hear the phrase means of grace. We think of the word, we think of the sacraments, baptism, and the Lord's Supper, and we think of prayer. In this case, more typically, it's the public bringing of the word. Sacraments are public, and the public prayer of God's people to the pastor. Now again, I said before, praying yourself, you ought to pray, you ought to read the Bible yourself privately. Those are means as well. But here, these are the public means, these are the tools in particular that God is pleased to use, especially, as we summarize here, for our growth, that we get more of the redemption, the fruits of redemption of Christ Jesus in our lives. God has given us these things, especially word, the sacraments, and prayer. And before I go into the sacraments, because all this is to give us a proper perspective and understanding of using the Lord's Supper, I want to highlight the importance of the Word of God. Baptism is important. The Lord's Supper is important. But how important are they? Well, we have an idea in 1 Corinthians, and I'm going to go through 1 Corinthians. And he says in chapter 1, I did not come to baptize. But wait a minute, Paul. In fact, Christ tells you in the Great Commission to baptize the nations. What are you talking about? Obviously, he's using strong rhetoric to highlight and emphasize to his disobedient audience at Corinth who were arguing, well, I was baptized from Apollos. Paul baptized me. Well, Christ baptized me. I'm super holy. Paul's like, forget all that. It's not about baptism. It's about the gospel and preaching the truth. Baptism is there. And if Paul would <clears throat> had the same problem with the Lord's Supper, he'd say the same thing. I did not come to administer the Lord's Supper, but to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's a contrast, not an absolute contrast, but a relative contrast because of the sins of the Corinth, Corinthians over baptism. And a similar thing happens sometimes with the Lord's Supper. Sometimes people feel as though they have no spiritual growth unless they have the Lord's Supper. Whereas the spiritual growth comes through and primarily by the Word of God. Spiritual growth is not a feeling. It's not 
uh, taking the Lord's Supper as though it's a magical formula and makes you grow, but as a means to help your faith be, to grow and be more educated. Your faith has to be informed, and the information comes from the Word of God, especially preached, as I am doing now. Baptism must have a sermon with it. The Lord's Supper must have a sermon with it. Preferably one that explains the elements so that the ignorant don't look at baptism, don't look at the Lord's Supper and think it's some kind of magic potion. It's not. It is an auxiliary, something added to on the side to supplement and help the preaching of the Word. And so that you see visibly what you hear audibly, the gospel message. But of course, since it's symbolic, you have to explain symbolism. It's not, you know, symbolism is not intuitive, as it were. You raise in the environment which you know these things, or faithfully, hopefully in a good church, which instructs you in these things. We read in Isaiah 55.10, For as the rain comes down, and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth, and shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. You must have the word of truth for your faith to grow. The supper, the sacraments given to us, are just another way of expressing that gospel message. It only makes sense because of the, the message itself already written and expounded. Now, what is a sacrament? It's, a, of course, a subcategory, a, special, a specific type or a special type of means of grace, right? Question 92, what is a sacrament? A sacrament is a holy ordinance instituted by Christ. That's obvious. It's something given to us by Christ that we are commanded to do, an ordinance, wherein... By sensible signs, by sensible, the word sensible, I don't know what word you'd use today if you want to modernize it, just means your senses, right? You can see it, you can smell it, you can touch it, you can taste it. God knows we have a physical body, and that's part of our weakness sometimes. We want to touch and feel and taste and see that the Lord is good. And so the baptism does the same thing. You can see the water, you can feel the water. And the Lord's Supper is God as a father to children, giving them these outward signs for our weak faith. By sensible signs, as a sacrament, as a holy ordinance, by sensible signs, wherein Christ and the benefits of the new covenant are represented, sealed, and applied to believers. A shorter way of saying all that is, it is a sign and seal of the covenant of grace. The sacraments are signs and seals of the covenant of grace. Covenant of grace is a summary of the gospel, of course, wherein God has bound himself to save us and his people from eternity past, promised to do that. That's what the covenant is, and give us the benefits therein. And the sign and seal. Now, what's a sign and a seal? A sign is pretty obvious and straightforward. It's a symbol, an outward symbol of an inward reality. A sign is an outward symbol of an inward reality. <clears throat> By sign, of course, we don't mean something written down like a stop sign where it says stop, but we mean a symbol in that language. And so that the 
symbol or the sign of a lion, if it was on a banner during warfare, we'd recognize as a symbol of courage, that that band of men used that to represent their courage in battle. A lion is a symbol or represents that idea. And so the Lord's Supper is a sign, an outward sign that represents something else, that points to something else. And of course, that something else is the benefits of Christ Jesus, specifically in the picture of the bread and of the wine, which what? Are signs that point to the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. And not just that, as though, okay, well, that's interesting. That's the body and that's the blood. So what? But that we have a vested interest in it that we partake in salvation, that the body broken for us, that the blood shed for you and for me has an effect upon you, helps you become more like Christ, helps you grow in your sanctification. The benefits of Christ are given to us through his work and through his body, through his death in particular as it symbolizes, obviously, his dying for us in our stead. When we deserve to die and to be punished for our sins and violations of his holy law. And so that's the symbolism, and it points to Jesus and not to us, not to our faith. Although we need that, we need to exist to have access to it. But it's focusing upon him and the gospel in visible form. And, of course, it also has another element as a sign. It's also a sign in our partaking and participation of being separate from the world, just like baptism. Seal. The seal affirms, affixes, cements, solidifies your conscience before God and faith in him. As you have a seal for authenticity, on your graduation paperwork, for example, or the government and the like, in a similar fashion, uh, the signs and seals of the covenant are there for our growth as Christians, that God has affixed upon us his love in visible form. Because again, we being sinners, saved by grace, with a weak faith, uh, need help in this regard, and God has given us the signs and seals, the sealing there, we read of that language explicitly in Romans 4 where Paul writes when he's talking about justification by faith alone and Christ alone, arguing in the life of David and arguing in the life of Abraham, that's always been that case, that the followers of the Messiah were saved not by works, lest any man should boast, but are justified in particular by Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. He writes, And he, that is Abraham, received the sign of circumcision. Right? It's a picture a picture of a new heart, of being born again, as we know, circumcised, uh, the foreskin of your heart, we read in Deuteronomy and elsewhere. A seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while still uncircumcised. Because it wasn't circumcision that justified him. It was before. And it was his faith in God Almighty. And it was a sealing that is it cemented and strengthened his weak faith. That's why it's given. As we know, circumcision has been replaced with baptism in the New Testament, and all the other Old Testament sacraments have been replaced by the Lord's Supper. We read in 1 Peter 3.21 to drive home the idea of the seal here, that again, the idea of seal is not magic uh, in the way that the Roman Catholics and the like, they, they believe you just eat the, 
the body of Christ and abracadabra, you have grace infused in you like it's some kind of food particle. But rather, it is there for your faith to grow and to be informed and be strengthened. 1 Peter 3.21, we read, While the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water, he says, the ark was prepared and they were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us. There's a parallel that maps this event with Noah and his deliverance from the flood. And that is baptism. So baptism saves us. What? Peter believes baptism? What is he talking about? Well, he, gives an ex- he explains it right here. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, not because it purifies us like a bath, but the answer of a good conscience towards God. That's the sealing effect that occurs in the sacraments. It's not magic. It's there to strengthen and say, yes, God loves you and he's given you access to these things to show you. It's not about you. It's not about your faith, but me and my covenant of grace and my love for you. And in my providence, I have so deigned it to give you these things that you may grow thereby. That's what it's about. And it's used by the Spirit. So that's the means of grace broadly. And of course, particularly the Spirit uses sacraments as a sign and seal of the covenant of grace. Used by the Spirit. Second point. I don't think I have to go too much into this, but I'll go a little bit. I believe all of us understand that the Holy Spirit is involved in the Christian life and helps and guides all things, both in creation and in providence. He was there at the beginning, hovering over the face of the earth. Your birth, your family, your life, and all the details of your life were set there by the Holy Spirit. You had no choice in these things. And he, in fact, brings you here to this day, into this place, into this room right now, that you may have access to the preaching of the word and the giving of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. These operations in particular, those are his general operations, his regeneration, as we know, not by the works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out abundantly through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Spirit gives us new life, and we see that new life through illumination. John 16, where God, Christ Jesus, tells us that he's given us a spirit that we may know the things of God. And we know the things of God, not because we're special, because God has given us a spirit. And everyone else, unfortunately, rejects him and wants not his spirit. And, of course, sanctification and growth thereby. And we read in 2 Thessalonians, We are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord. Because God, from the beginning, chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. And the Spirit is involved in sealing as well. Ephesians 1.13, In whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Brothers and sisters, the Lord's Supper given in his providence, set up right here, right now, at this moment, everything that cause and effects that work to this point in time, for your good, that the Spirit wants to bless you. He wants to strengthen your weak faith as you struggle against sin. It's for your growth, that's the third point, that you may grow thereby. I already mentioned it's a public badge to some extent, whereas the world sees that not anybody can participate in these things in which 
Christ is here spiritually, and he's feeding us with the effects of his redemption for us. We may grow thereby. And that we may, as his people, be strengthened in our weak faith. Ultimately, it's God himself who works through these meager means. In 1 Corinthians 3, 6, we read Paul saying, I planted and Apollos watered. We used the means. We exercised, we worked, we preached. But God gave the increase. It is not how strong your faith is, but how strong God is. He gives the increase. We are simply called to use what he's given us and trust that he knows best and will give us the growth that we need, when we need it, and how we need it. We have a clearer picture of the goodness of Christ Jesus and his love, undying love, or his dying love. He literally died for us, and he will always live forever for us that we may have a good conscience before him because it is not about us, but what Christ has done. The Lord's Supper is of his death that we may focus upon him, not of the resurrection. You're not eating this in the symbolism of the resurrection as though we have to think about our sanctification, how much more we've been changed and growing thereby. Sometimes we regress. Regression is no excuse not to have the Lord's Supper. It's all the more to have it. You cry out to God for mercy, to hear his word preached, and to taste it as well. And of course, the Lord's Supper, one of the other effects given to us is the communion with the saints, because we take it together. It's not a private activity. Baptism is not a private activity. The sacraments are not a private activity, and they are a corporate activity. We do it together. The world may know that we are one in Christ Jesus. Communion, brothers and sisters. The Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, is a sign and seal of the covenant of grace used by the Spirit to make you more like Jesus. Praise the Lord for his kindness in giving us a supper, and may we continue to grow therein, we pray. Amen. Let us pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, with these words, explaining what Christ did on that fateful night a thousand years ago. May our weak faith be strengthened, God, that it's not about us, but about you. We are simply called to come to you, no matter that you have promised to receive us through Christ Jesus our Lord, to love us for all eternity. Help us, we pray, God. Amen. Let us uh, stand and sing. We're all going to sing half the verses of hymn 338, 338.
I'll be reading from the elements. The forms are here to help us. We don't get distracted by what we're thinking in our heads. We can say some of it on our own. And it covers all the bases, so I think it's just safer to read through them. Our Lord Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper as an